Well, unless you've been living under a rock somewhere, as I often say, you know we've got a big election coming up this Tuesday. In fact, it's all we hear about in the news, isn't it? I mean, just 24-7 continuous coverage about the upcoming election. There's a lot of concern about the outcome of the election. I know many of us are concerned about how this election will turn out. It's a big deal. It's a very important election. But as important as this election is, or any election for that matter, it does not compare to things that pertain to the kingdom of our Lord. Because whatever happens in this current election cycle, this is temporary. This is all going to pass away. But the things pertaining to the kingdom of our Lord are eternal. And so they are much more important. Today, for just a few minutes, what I'd like to do is play upon the election theme with a question. And here's the question that we would like to ask. If Jesus were running for office, if he was the one running for office, could he be elected today? I want you to think about that for a minute. Hopefully, we want to emphasize the distinct differences between the temporal matters of our world today, and the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to talk about that. If Jesus was running for office, could he be elected today? We stopped just briefly uh, to add words of welcome. We're glad you're here. As has already been pointed out, this is a beautiful day in Middle Tennessee, and, and we have really just been having a string of really nice weather, and we should be grateful for that and for all things pertinent to this physical life. We should be especially grateful that we have a God who loves us and has blessed us abundantly in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to come together and worship and praise Him. This is a great thing, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. For any and all who are visiting today, thanks for coming. And we hope you come back every time you have a chance. What do you think? Before we even dive into the study, what do you think about the question? If Jesus was running for office, could He be elected today? Well, first of all, we want to ask the question, would he have been an attractive candidate? And when you think of that question about attractiveness, maybe the thing that comes to mind, first of all, is physical presence. Is he, was he a handsome man? You know, uh, a candidate who's going to be very successful probably needs to be, if he's a man, he needs to be relatively handsome. He can't be just horribly ugly. If it's a woman, she has to be pretty to a degree at least. She just can't be a horribly ugly woman. Because I think if if a person was just very unattractive, they probably wouldn't do good. That, That speaks no doubt to the superficiality of the way people make election choices. But, you know, we've actually heard of candidates, men, who would get thousand dollar haircuts you know so that they'd look as good as they possibly could there's always rumors about women and men as candidates who get plastic surgery to make them look a little younger or or more attractive well i want to tell you jesus would have failed this test miserably because he was not a physically attractive person the reason we know that is because isaiah even prophesied along those lines we know isaiah 53 is one of the most perfect descriptions of our Savior and particularly goes into detail about his sacrificial death. But notice in Isaiah 53 verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. 
He hath no form or comeliness, and when we see, and when we shall see him, notice there is no beauty that we should desire him. So again, Jesus would fail the test of would he be physically appealing, his appearance. You really can't imagine, though, can you? You can't imagine Jesus worrying about his wardrobe, uh, worrying about his haircut. You just can't imagine Jesus being that superficial. People are, but Jesus would not have been. He would not have been a physically handsome candidate. But I want to tell you, he had tremendously attractive qualities about himself. Let me just mention some of these. And we could, we could cite scripture references for all this. We won't take the time to do so. I think you will acknowledge that the things I'm about to list as to Jesus' attractive qualities are all true. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. He stood up for the poor and the old. Uh, he associated with the young, with the rich, with the powerful. He was scrupulously honest. There's no, there's no thought that he would ever have been subject to a bribe. He was sincere and unselfish and fair. He loved and showed concern for widows and children. He championed the underdog. He stood up to the bullies. He was certainly an independent person. He didn't tow any party line or take on the positions required of him as such. For all these attractive qualities that Jesus possessed, and for all these reasons, Mark 12, verse 37 says, the common people heard him gladly. Mark 5, verse 24 says, much people followed him and thronged him. And we know well that on the last days of his life, as he entered into Jerusalem for the last time, where he would there be crucified, remember he was greeted as a returning Conquering general would be greeted. A very great, Matthew 21 verse 8 says, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. Jesus was very popular among the common people because he had those kinds of attractive qualities that we just enumerated. We would say further that there were absolutely no skeletons in his closet. You know, that's what, that's what a politician worries about, that he's done something in the past as ugly, immoral, maybe unethical or illegal, but he's tried to kind of bury that in his past, keep all the information or evidence of that under wraps. But of course, what he worries about if he's running for office is these investigative reporters, these guys, they'll dig up that dirt, they'll find it, you know, they'll, they'll show, they'll demonstrate the skeletons in his closet, as we sometimes say. But in the case of Jesus, there were no skeletons in his closet. When his enemies tried to trump up charges against him, they had to get liars, false witnesses, to come forth to testify because there wasn't anything true they could say against him. But even that effort to get these lying, false witnesses to testify against him, even that backfired on them. In Mark chapter 14, beginning verse 55, And the chief priests and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, Notice, but their witness agreed not together. They couldn't even get their lies straight. They couldn't, get, they couldn't get on the same page concerning the lies that they were telling about him. Most clearly, Jesus had no skeletons in his closet. But having said that, 
he was still hated by his rivals, by his enemies. He, he was accepted and warmly loved by the masses of common people. But the powerful people in that day hated him, despised him, and were his enemies. The reason that they were his enemies was because he dared to criticize their hypocrisy. He certainly didn't worry about being politically correct. I'll just give you one example of the way Jesus attacked those sinful, powerful people of his day. In Matthew chapter 23, really the whole chapter sort of goes along this line, but just a section out of Matthew 23, beginning verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Wait a minute, scribes and Pharisees. That's the power of people, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you liken to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. A pretty plain and direct statement, isn't it? Uh, the critical of the politically powerful people of his day. And they hated him for that. So he was certainly controversial. He didn't, he didn't worry any about political correctness because the only one that he was really concerned about pleasing was his Father in heaven. In John 8, verse 29, Jesus said, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For lo, I do always those things that please him. That was what was driving him. That was the, the basis upon which he made all of his choices seeking to please the Father. He wasn't worried about pleasing even the most powerfully political people of his day. He was just concerned about pleasing the Father. And he never modified his message uh, in order to please people. Do you remember the episode in John chapter 6, beginning verse 60? Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve, Will ye go away also? Here was a situation where what the truth that Jesus was proclaiming was hard to accept and people weren't willing to, to take it. And so they turned away. They didn't want to hear what he was saying. But did you notice Jesus didn't compromise? He didn't modify his message. He didn't run after him and say, well, wait, 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 don't leave. We'll, 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 we'll do something else. We'll do something different. We'll make it easier for you. He never did that. You know, politicians of our day, what do they do? Well, they watch the polls, right? They watch the polling information. And they also have focus groups, I guess, in which they ask questions about what's important, what positions do you like and not like. And then you know well that the politicians of our day, they alter their positions to try to stay in front of popular, popular opinion. Now, that's not what Jesus did, right? Not at all. And so Jesus was certainly a controversial figure and not politically correct. Now, what do you think so far? In regards to Jesus running for office, what would you say so far concerning his ability to be elected? Well, keep thinking. Don't, don't make your final determination yet. My guess is that likely the final verdict as to whether people would vote for him or not would be the position that he would take on certain issues. That would be the deciding factor, probably. Now, when you think about it, here we are 2,000 years after Jesus, right? Right at 2,000 years after Jesus. And yet, I want to bring up some 
issues that were issues in his day that are still issues in our day. You know, we like to think, well, times have changed so much. And, and of course, the critics of the Bible say the Bible's not even applicable to us because times are so much different now than they were then. That's not true. Many of the same issues we face are issues of that day. Where would Jesus stand on the issues? What position would he take? For instance, what position would he take on submission to the government, being obedient to the government? Some of you will remember, and some of you don't know, but many of us still remember our friend Nestor Sanchez, whom we've supported for so many years down in Chile. And we've helped him make numerous trips to Cuba. And and you remember that Nestor was arrested in Cuba for preaching Jesus Christ. And when he was arrested, he even tried to teach those who were interrogating him of the communist Cuban government. And he asked them, what do you know about Jesus Christ? And the Cuban interrogators said, well, we know he was a revolutionary man. Jesus wasn't a revolutionary. They were wrong about that, right? Jesus was not a revolutionary. He taught submission to the government. In Luke chapter 20, verse 22, beginning, Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why tempt ye me? Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that would be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. That famous phrase, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's. Certainly, Jesus taught submission to government. We've often made the point, and I think it's a worthy point to make, that that government, Caesar's government, the Roman government, was a very corrupt government. But Jesus taught to be submissive to government. Where would he stand on racism? You know, we hear so much about this in our day, even within the current election cycle. So much talk about racism, and there's been so much upheaval and even civil unrest in our country over concerns about racism. The charge, I think, is randomly thrown out against any political opponent. If I'm running for political office... I'm just going to call my opponent a racist. There might not be any basis for that whatsoever, but that terminology is used all the time, of course. What about Jesus? How would he have been about racism? Well, we know that Jesus definitely was not a racist, not at all. And we can draw that conclusion from an episode that you know well from John chapter 4. Remember, Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. You've got to know the background, and we do, don't we, that the Samaritans and the Jews, there was a great ethnic conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Typically, a Jew wouldn't have anything to do with a Samaritan. On this occasion, when Jesus stopped at the well in Samaria, he actually struck up a conversation with a woman who came there to draw water. And the the, There's a lot in that story, of course, but near the end of it, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? They were were amazed on two counts. We'll talk about the, the second one in a minute. They were amazed that he talked with this Samaritan person because Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. It's a racist thing. We're not going to deal with these Samaritans. 
Jesus was not of that mindset at all. And so we would have to clearly say, we know where Jesus would be on this racism question, right? What about the economy? Where would Jesus stand on the economy? We could talk, we could talk for a long time on any of these points, but just quickly, where would Jesus stand on the economy? I think that a lot of people would imagine that Jesus would be a socialist, you know, uh, maybe even a communist. You know, we'll just have everything in common. We're going to just, or at least we'll be a socialist country. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus didn't take that kind of position. He encouraged work for wages. In Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the laborer, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Work for wages. And in the parable of the laborers in Matthew chapter 20, when some of the people who were hired, we're going to reference this parable again in a minute, but when some of the people who were hired didn't get what they thought maybe they would get for pay at the end of the day, the, the master there said, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? That was a given. That was an understood. Jesus made that, that understood principle a part of this parable. I'm, I'm, I'm free to do what I want to with my own. Jesus would not have taught a socialist kind of economic policy. In conjunction with that, where would he stand on welfare? What would Jesus say about welfare? Well, we already said that he encouraged work for wages. Now, we should stress that Jesus very much was a benevolent being. He, he was pro-charity, if you will, for the poor and the needy. And he actually taught his disciples to be mindful of the poor and needy. I think as his disciples today, we should be mindful of the poor and needy. He taught that. Notice in Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 13, When thou makest a feast, call the poor and the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Jesus said, be mindful of people in need. We should be mindful of people. He was. He was pro-charity in that sense. But he definitely expected folks to do what they could for themselves. Go back to that same parable. We were just referencing the parable of the laborers. You remember that he, the, the, the landowner went out and hired workers all through the day to come and work in his vineyard. Notice in verse 20, about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why stand you here all the day idle? And he hired them in the, in the last hour of the working day. But there's, a, there's something implied in the question that he asked him. You're able-bodied workers. Why aren't you working? Why stand you here idle all the day? And so while Jesus was certainly pro-charity and a benevolent being, toward those poor and in need. We know that he also expected to, people to do what they could do for themselves. And, and that able-bodied, it's unreasonable that able-bodied people would stand idle all the day. Where would Jesus stand on women's rights? Now, this is a hot topic, right? This is currently a hot topic. Lots would argue that Jesus, actually a lot of people would argue that the whole Bible is chauvinistic in its slant anti-woman, puts women down, and so forth. Well, we already, we already used the reference about Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. 
he, he spoke to her even though she was a Samaritan. He also spoke to her even though she was a woman. And that wouldn't be typical in that time either. Jesus understood uh, and the value of women. He interacted with women. He valued women. As an example, you may remember his interchange with the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. Jesus answered said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Jesus understood and appreciated the value of women. What about abortion? That's, that's obviously a hot political topic. Can you imagine Jesus proudly proclaiming, I am pro-choice. I will adamantly defend the right of a woman to make choices about her own body. Can you imagine Jesus proclaiming such a political stance? Really, in his life, even before he was born, while he was still in his mother's womb, there's a great lesson to be learned about the fact that life begins at conception. You remember this. We've made this argument before about abortion. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Lo, and, then, and then Elizabeth said, Lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb. I want, I want to stress here, we've made this argument plenty of times. Luke, Luke the physician, right? Luke was a physician by, tra- by training. He used a word here, babe. The babe leaped in my womb. The babe leaped in my womb. Well, that was the, the infant John the Baptist still in his mother's womb, right? So he was still a fetus in the womb. And the, the word that Luke used to describe the fetus in the womb was the word brephos in the Greek, the babe. Later, Luke, still Luke, still Luke the physician, after Jesus was born, in chapter 2, it says, The shepherds came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Luke, the physician, used the same word, brephos, for a baby still in the womb and a baby who had, had then been delivered. We know that we know where Jesus would stand on the abortion question. There's no doubt about that. He would be adamantly opposed to the shedding of innocent blood. Where would he stand on the sanctity of marriage? Wow, how things have changed, right? Who would have imagined that we would be where we are today? Just 20 or 30 years ago, if, if someone had predicted where our society would be today in regards to this question about the sanctity of marriage, nobody would have believed it. How things have changed. No doubt where Jesus would stand on the question of sanctity of marriage. In Matthew 19, the text that we so often reference, we, we reference this text about divorce, right? In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, he answered, said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now that's the, that's the phrase that we often latch on to relative to the question of divorce. So that, that's in this, right? Jesus teaching and urging the permanence of marriage. 
But there's something else here too. In the beginning, God made them male and female. When he was talking about marriage, it was male and female, right? It wasn't same-sex marriage at all. Where would Jesus stand on the question of the sanctity of marriage? No question about that, right? No question at all about that. Our society has changed a lot, but there's no question about where Jesus would stand on that. I want to ask one more question. I think we could, I think we could probably expand this list, but where would Jesus stand on the question of environmentalism? Do you ever think about that? Where would Jesus stand on environmentalism? Well, we know something about what he did in his life. We, for instance, this wouldn't be, this wouldn't be a full listing, but we know he rode a donkey. We know that he caught and cooked fish. We know that he ate lamb. Right? We know those things for sure. And while I believe it certainly would be true that Jesus valued the environment, he knew the relative status of man in regards to animal rights and environmental rights. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep. Sheep are valuable. Man is more valuable. There's a, rel- there's a relative relationship there, and Jesus understood that. All right. So what do you think about our question up here? What do you think? If Jesus was running for office today, could he be elected? Well, I think my answer to that has to be very likely no. He could not be elected. And primarily because of these positions on issues that he would take that we just commented about so very briefly. Jesus would not have taken popular positions on a lot of the issues that are still current issues in our day and time. But you know what? That's not being elected, becoming a political leader. That wasn't what Jesus was about anyway, right? You remember in John chapter 6, during sort of the height of his popularity, when Jesus therefore, verse 15, John 6, 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to a mountain himself alone. He knew that they were going to try to forcibly put him into a position of political power. He didn't want that. That's not what he came for. He left. He wouldn't allow that to happen. In the reading that we had at the very start of our sermon, or service rather, from John 8, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now... Is my kingdom not from hence? Jesus wasn't seeking political office. He wasn't desiring to be elected in a... What do we call it? We call it a popular election, right? Jesus wasn't running for popularly elected political office. He didn't come to be a political leader. He came to be the king of a spiritual kingdom. This week's election is really important. I don't deny that at all. And like many of you, I share great concerns about the outcome and what it may mean for us. But ultimately, we have to agree that whatever happens, it's just a temporary thing because this whole world is just temporarily here. And ultimately, all that matters is to be faithful to God. Are you a citizen of the Lord's kingdom? To become a Christian, the plan revealed in the scriptures is very simple. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If you've not done that and you desire to obey today, we'd be anxious to help you in your obedience. We can study more if you need that. 
If you're a Christian, you've not been a loyal citizen in the kingdom of our Lord. Come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.